0: What's up everyone? Welcome back to the State of the Arc podcast. My name is Mike. My name's Cason. Okay, fellas. We're going to have to do this because it's been that big of a story. Sonic the Hedgehog movie trailer was released <laughs> this week. We talked yeah. about it a little bit when they posted the teaser image where he was all silhouetted. Yep. Yeah. And the one where his legs are sticking out and it looks like he's... Yeah,
1: and the camera's basically, like, <laughs> in his, his cross. camera's in off. his...
0: Yep, that yeah. one. That's the one. Uh, we were skeptical. <laughs> and I think for it's been proven for good reason. For very good reason. Now, there's been... Uh, the only real, like, uh, important thing to talk about with this story here is that there's been really, really loud furious fan feedback to the design of Sonic on top of the fact that the movie just generally looks pretty lame.
1: I feel like that's what people are glossing over. People are, people are pretending on Twitter and elsewhere that if you just change Sonic's design, that this movie will be a good movie. And I saw the trailer. That is not a good movie. That is not the makings of a, of of an enjoyable film whether, regardless of what Sonic looks like, that movie is going to be bad. (laughs) Yes. And I'm sorry. That's just that's that's how it's going to be.
0: The truth of the matter, but yeah. uh, people are more upset about how horrifying <laughs> Sonic yeah. looks.
1: He is pretty creepy. <laughs> that's true. It's like it's, the seven nightmares almost.
0: It is um, unreal to me how they thought that that was going to be a design that would be received well. Uh, anyone thought that that would work.
1: Well, I think so. What I've been hearing is that this uh, their marketing strategy is not necessarily gamers and fans of
0: Sonic. Possibly.
1: Yeah, that they're like, hey, we're making a generic Save the World movie, and we're going to use the character that everybody knows, but we don't care if you've played the game. We don't care if you're a fan of Sonic or Sega. It's like that's just not part of their strategy. They just want, like Pac-Man, they just want something that people know about and that's that's all they really cared. It didn't matter that the fans were happy or not, you know. I
0: I would say if that was the case, then it would be puzzling to me why Jeff Fowler, the director of the movie, came out with this tweet. Let me go ahead and put it on the screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> says, thank you for the support and the criticism. The message is loud and clear. You aren't happy with the design and you want changes. It's going to happen. Everyone at Paramount and Sega are fully committed to making this character the best he can be. Sure. Movie, I mean, the bad press is
1: is one thing, but I don't think his design will be all that different. I think they'll change some things, but...
0: So, let me send we'll you see. a few images here, Jason. Okay, um... I'm going to send a number of links, hold on, Uh, for some of these redesigns. Maybe you've seen some of them, Um, but I'm just going to send it to you anyway, so you know what I'm talking about when I'm looking at it. Okay. And last one. So the first one is, I think, probably more along the lines of what could, like, realistically be done and that is to make the eyes bigger. Yeah. And change nothing else because I mean there's still a lot to render there but not his nearly as much. The
1: eyes are the least comfortable part of his whole Yeah, whole it's
0: image. weird. It's yeah. weird. The eyes are weird. Let me go back to where it was. Yeah, this to compare it with this. It's just when you look at them back and forth, Ugh. it's like one yeah. it's one thing when you're looking at it on its own and you're not like comparing it to other designs and you're just looking at it and just watching it. It's like, Oh weird. But then you look at it back and forth to a design with the larger eyes like that. And it's like, Holy balls. That is, (laughs) it's like freakish man. That is messed up. But I think that a, a design fix like that, where you were to change the eyes only, I guess he does change the mouth a little bit, too, in his redesign. Kind of gives it that, like, um, crooked smile, that very cartoon-like crooked oh, smile. Oh, yes,
1: I see that, yeah.
0: I'm going to talk about how cartoon-like he looks here in a second. But if you were to if you were to do that only and just change the face, that would be the least amount of rendering work. Um, you, there's probably a lot of shots in the movie where he doesn't show his face at all. That's that true, you yeah, keep. or
1: distant, like... Wide far away shots where you wouldn't have to do any changes at all, right?
0: Where you wouldn't have yeah. to change anything. This to me is the most realistic thing that they could do to change it.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, the second image I sent to you is just somebody making it look like the cartoon Sonic. <laughs> this would require
1: quite, quite a few changes. Yeah, that would
0: be, I think, impossible to do. So, in what six do we got? Months. Make
1: his feet massive, lengthen his legs, shorten his torso
0: yeah bring
1: so the whole like he has two eyes but they're kind of one eye like there's two pupils but there's no actual gap between his eyes it looks like just one
0: big sheet right and then two pupils yep that's which Um, is is the cartoon look look, but But anyways i don't think that they could do anything like that no last one i sent was a guy who did uh just sort of like painted over a frame from the trailer and did a similar design change to the second image i sent the eyes are separated yes. but you've got this like this like meeting in the middle and again i don't think you could do this cuz the whole silhouette has to change the entire character has to be re-rendered from scratch every single frame of the movie which i just yep. don't think is possible
1: yep they've
0: clearly already done a lot of work here Like, fixing his eyes or just the face is one thing, but like changing the entire body into this, not going to happen, I don't think. I would not say that that's possible. So, in my opinion, this image I'm looking at here, the first image is probably the closest thing that they could do to try and appease fans before the movie comes out. Now, See,
1: this is the thing, though. They knew this was coming because the initial designs got the same feedback. So I know the director's now saying, oh we finally heard you. We didn't hear you before. Oh, but there's not enough time now. What, what can be done? Oh, we'll change a little bit. You know, like that's all that they can really do at this point. They knew this was coming. Yeah. I just don't think the marketers or the producers or maybe the director's pretending to care. Cause it's a small part of the, you know, we do want them to go watch our movie, but we really don't care that much.
0: Yeah. So, I think uh, – who's the, the channel you told me about, the guy who uses the Grover puppet when he talks? Oh, Arlo. Something? I think it's Arlo. Arlo. Yeah, Arlo was tweeting about it a lot I saw this week about like, like – kind of on the deeper issue, which is if people in charge really believed that this would fly, then obviously they're not the right people to be – in exactly. place in the first place this is going to be a bad movie that that's, that's the real true. issue not yeah the design of the character as much it's like
1: the the producers of the 1993 mario brothers movie got together and said hey we have cg now let's make a new movie the same <laughs> kind of thing except let's uh use cg now and it's like dudes they have no idea what they're doing and they yeah. don't know why that the, these video game movies often are critical failures as well but right. a lot of times they just don't care. They just need to make money.
0: So, so I think this film will probably make money. Let's talk about for a second uh, the 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 all of these proposed changes that these fans are making. Right, we're about to lose Kason, but he'll be back in a minute. Um, all these proposed changes that they're that these fans are making are in essence just cartoonizing the character. So. The The goal of the film is to bring Sonic the Hedgehog into live action to make him look more realistic, to fit him in and blend him into a live action setting. Uh, you know, the same way that, like, Detective Pikachu is doing. Now, Detective Pikachu is being received really well so far. But I feel feel similarly to when I look at Detective Pikachu that I do with this. Obviously, it's not as bad, like not even close to as bad (laughs) like the the design is legitimately horrific on sonic for sonic the hedgehog the movie here but detective pikachu to me feels similarly weird yeah in that these are cartoons that they're trying to make look like they belong with live action people and in a live action environment and i don't understand the purpose of that we have an entire industry uh, pioneered by Pixar and Disney Animation, yeah, uh, to do th- what they're to do this to bring these characters into a, uh, into you know realistically lit environments, but not right. necessarily like real or live action, right? Uh, Toy Story, for instance, like the 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 grass, the roads, the buildings, things like that. They're textured yeah, ev- realistically. Everything looks real
1: except for the characters. Yeah. The
0: characters still have cartoon proportions. They still yeah. emote very, very um, exaggeratedly like cartoons do. Yeah. I don't understand why you would want to take a cartoon character. this I actually have the same problem with like the Lion King uh, film that's coming out. You
1: know, actually I do too. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Where they're trying to make these lions look like real lions, and it's like you've lost all the expression of those characters by doing because animals don't emote with their faces; no. they don't do that. Oh. <laughs> it's just—it's crazy. Like the entire like um, this is maybe a a a, a, a main topic to, to cover in the future, like why cartoons as a medium. Uh, stand alone, like why they are, why it, like, like, uh, what do you call it? Animation. Mm. Anime could be uh, included in this. Why that art form of itself is important and why making a story for anime or for a cartoon with that in mind doesn't lend itself to just adapting that into something else, right? And a lot of it has to do with, expression there is oh, an expression yeah. you can get with cartoons that you cannot get with real people
1: well what's funny i remember hearing about this actually there was a an animator that was saying that what like the amount of information you can convey to an audience in a cartoon it takes yeah. like three or four frames for um an audience to you know view see and understand like, exactly register. what's happening whereas yeah. it takes 7 frames or something like that in a live action film now the idea is that things are just a little muddier when you've got when you're dealing with reality sometimes it just takes a second longer for you to really see what which of the many complex emotions this actual human is showing right now whereas in cartoons you look at it and you know immediately because it's it's obvious it's so exaggerated and so like i don't know how It's funny because I don't know how translatable they are.
0: Yeah. Well, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I think, on the podcast about how uh, nonverbal communication is a a great in greater part how we communicate than. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And so what cartoons do is they like they are even more expressive nonverbally than we can be in real life which is why these huge like reactions to things in the old Donald Duck cartoons and Mickey Mouse and like that were it was so funny because like yeah. it, it expresses an emotion that we all have felt but in this like really artistic unique way that is that is cannot be done other than in 2D animation yeah. like this now um yeah go ahead
1: Well, I think that's what war Six Two Four says. I feel like all video game movies should be fully CG. And I I can't help, but agree with that. And it seems like that almost never happens though. I I would think for advent children, which would have sucked if it was live action, by the way, for sure. Like a lot of people have issues with that as is, but it's like, if that was live action cloud and stuff, like that would have been a very bad movie. Um, but it was better given that or movies like, um, Wreck-It Ralph kind of stuff like it works way better when you fully CG the everything instead of trying to do this whole live action thing.
0: I I would say personally, I would see it as a a case by case basis. Like if you're going to make, say, uh, The Last of Us in a movie, obviously that can be live action. Um, Yeah. Even something like
1: that's that's a good point. Yeah.
0: Even something like uh, I don't know
1: Metal Gear. Solid. Yeah, Metal Gear
0: Solid would be a yeah. movie, right? But well,
1: but Ozzy uh, missed uh, one thousand saying, um, you know, thank God Dragon Quest is CG, which I right. I think that's going to be a huge part of its success.
0: Oh, totally. And be, and again, the the aesthetic for Dragon Quest has always been anime from the beginning. Exactly. Right? You can't capture that other you than can.
1: in animation.
0: <laughs> yeah, it looks weird. Anytime you try to yeah. take a. I mean, a lot of people do cosplay of these anime characters, right? And some of them do a pretty good job with Cloud's in, hair in a or something photograph, like
1: that. They do, they but can make it look pretty right in a movement film and it's acting. It just and, never works.
0: It never it works. Work. It looks weird. And <laughs> yeah. so, like my actual favorite in uh, interpretation of Final Fantasy VII from a from an aesthetic perspective was the Last Order, the anime that they did. Yeah, that was just the Nibelheim nice. incident anime. Yeah. To me, the as far as looks go, that yeah. looks right for Final Fantasy VII. Almost nothing else I've seen captures it, in my opinion, as well as that. Because the freaking no. characters were anime to begin with, so yeah,
1: exactly
0: <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me when we have an entire like sub—I don't want to call it a subgenre, but like an entire industry on its own dedicated and has has had billions of dollars of success doing these fully CG animated movies that still are basically cartoons that still emote like cartoons that have this blend between live action realistic textures like I don't know Finding Nemo with the sea you know the way the sea is rendered yeah it looks freaking real yeah the characters look like cartoons and can emote like cartoons and it's fine
1: I don't feel like they don't fit when that
0: happens why would you not do that for the world of Sonic the Hedgehog? I mean, it's not even if, if you if anyone's played the games even a little bit. I am by no stretch of the imagination a Sonic fan. I have played the yeah. Sega Genesis games a little bit, and I've played Sonic Mania a little bit. That is the extent of my experience with Sonic the Hedgehog. I have no emotional attachment to that character at all. Mm-hmm. I I look at the backgrounds of that world and I go that. Is not like anything in the real world.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's not make Earth. it into a freaking
0: cartoon. <laughs> yeah, Why would you make this into a live action movie? It makes I mean just from from the start. I feel like that's doomed because it makes no sense to do that. And Jim Carrey, you know, as a Robotnik, some people really think that that could work. But it's like, sure, because Jim Carrey is Jim Carrey but he's, he's not, a, being, yeah. he's not he's, being he's he's a, a great Nick.
1: actor.
0: <laughs> he's being himself. <laughs> and exactly, he's just it's true. kind of a likable funny guy. But yeah. anyways, I don't want to harp too long on this but that's kind of like my takeaway from it is just not understanding the the benefits you get from a, a medium in this case uh you know cartoons or, or, or animation that allows you to be ultra expressive with the nonverbal stuff with the character's eyes and proportions and everything else and, and deciding, oh, let's take that and turn it into something that tries to fit in with the real world. You're going to lose everything that made the, the essence of the character in the first place. It's the wrong medium for the character because the character was never designed to be in this medium, and it blows my mind that we have a medium suited for what the character is, and they chose not to do that. Probably because they caught wind of Detective Pikachu. I don't yes, know. Yes,
1: exactly. There's a, there's no... Um, It's never an accident when these movies, like, coincidentally yeah. come out next to each other, you know? It's, it's crazy. Like, I remember... I don't know. You find a ton of examples of this, but, like, Snow White and the Huntsman came out around the same time as, like... There was another... Uh, anyways these kinds of things happen all the time or like a shark Tale came out right around the same time as finding Nemo (laughs) yeah (laughs) and I was thinking of a new one actually because ants came out around the time of a bug's life but do you guys remember um small soldiers do you remember that
0: oh yeah I do there was another movie like that wasn't there
1: I don't even know why well I thought it was kind of like a toy story kind of thing because it's the army it's just army yeah I remember seeing that movie yeah yeah, it came out in '98. Okay, so a little bit after, Wait, probably closer to Toy Story two.
0: What about some um, that movie about the the Indian and in the cupboard or whatever? Oh yeah, Indian. It's kind of like cupboard. that. He puts the toys into the cupboard and they become real people.
1: Yeah, except well, the title of that movie's you know not not PC. <laughs> it anymore, wouldn't it wouldn't fly today. <laughs> that's what it was called. Sorry, sorry if anyone's offended. Yeah, that came out in 1995. That came out around the same time as Toy Story. Anyways. Um, this kind of thing happens all the time. So I'm sure that that's what happened. They were like, Pikachu. Oh crap. What's another good known, you know, well-known like video game movie that we can make be live action like that. And clearly the way that it's been put together is like not super well thought through. And I don't think they have time to change Sonic's design. I'm sorry. I I hate to break it to people. Mike and I have done CG for a long time. They aren't going to be able to do very much here. They're going to like maybe eye size. Like that might be about what they do.
0: Uh, Other Real than Dracula, that, like, sorry. Real Dracula brings up Civil War and Batman versus Superman coming out around the same yes, time. Yes, it's
1: true. Yeah. There are millions. There's so many examples all over the place, but I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now, but yeah, it, Clark, it happens all
0: the time. Clark does switch as Indian of in the Cover was a book though from 1980. That's true. But the decision but to the decision
1: it, to yeah. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah. To adapt it at that time. I'm not, I don't know if that, Property in particular was done because they knew something like Toy Story was in the works or whatever. But it, the, I think that a lot of executive decisions are made to say this kind of thing's being done by a competitor. Yeah. Let's put out a version of it ourselves because you have people that are getting excited about that. Kids will want to see another movie similar to that after they see that one and they'll filter into ours. You know, we'll be able to ride their coattails of excess a little bit. That's definitely true. I don't know if it's true for the decision behind adapting Indian in the cupboard or not, but I wouldn't be surprised if that they like, they're looking for properties in 1994. They're like, what can we do? What can we do that? Our competitors are doing something like this coming out soon. And it's like, well, here's something, this is a book written, you know, few years ago, Indian in the Cupboard, we could do a movie on that. And they go, okay, that's similar enough. Like, let's let's see if we can move into pre-production on that, see what we can do. Sure. Something yeah. like that. Anyways. By the way, um, sure is N.T. Dale. Don't know
1: exactly how to say your name, but he says, I'm Native American and I don't mind being called an Indian. I just like when we're included. People are so scared about offending us that they just don't include us anymore. There's there's a, a whole
0: nother issue there, but
1: I appreciate it. Thanks for saying that. It's just what the movie is called, but
0: Anyways. Yeah, yeah. I um, I appreciate you uh, uh, saying that too because yeah. I, I think a lot of people get offended on behalf of groups exactly yeah. <laughs> all the time, and it's like no, don't don't tell me what they think. Let them exactly. say for themselves what they. I think. know, seriously. Yeah. So thank you for uh, for speaking up. Appreciate that. Yep. Okay. Um, lo- we want to report real quick on something we talked about last week. Kason was talking about the to Nintendo Labo <laughs> yeah. VR. Yeah. And he tried it out. I did. With Breath of the Wild. So how did it go? So,
1: my gosh, that low resolution is is tough. It's almost like playing a, a PS1 game with like you know Final Fantasy 8 when you got your character and he's looking at you, but like his face looks all jacked because of the pixel, the resolution's just too low. And you're like, I guess that's his eye, there's his nose kind of, his hair is just a couple <laughs> pixels out, you know? It just doesn't look great. But that's what um that's essentially what link looks like when you when you do the VR because you're splitting something. That that handheld display is already only 720p, right? And so you're you're cutting that in half on the S wide end. So wide, it's 1280. So what's half a 1280? 640, I guess. So you've got a 640, which is basically standard def, right? And you're putting it right in front of your eyeballs. So the resolution is just really bad. There's no way to get around it. Um I did like that you could look around, but the problem being when you turn right, it's not as though you're, the way that I had kind of thought that it was going to work is that you're like the Lakitu cameraman behind Link and you can look around like free camera. Not necessarily. As you turn your head, the camera just pivots around Link as similar to the, when you use the the right stick, right? So it's like, it's not like you're turning. It's like you're... It's like you're doing one of those things. You're but locked you're not. onto him. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's hard now. I understand the issues like you could turn or it could lose calibration and you're like, wait, where's link? Where's link? Oh, oh there he <laughs> is. You know, and, but so I, I get why the free cam thing could be a problem. There should be a button that just centers you all, you know, automatically. Sure. Um, but I did, I was hoping for that just a little bit. Um, and so that's not really what it is, but all things considered, it's not, it's not that bad. Uh, but I, I wouldn't, it doesn't really add anything to the game for me because there's really nothing different about it. The game clearly was not made for this, Uh, but it was like a fun little experience for a little bit. My eyes hurt afterwards. Oh, really? Oh, because I used this thing. I used a Google cardboard. I didn't use Labo. So it could be that, um, that, Oh crap. (laughs) Hold on. Let me open this real quick. So it could uh, be simply that, (laughs) sorry, something broke here. Which is fine. I freaking never use my Google Cardboard anymore. Uh, I don't think I've is... ever used it.
0: Because we all got one. You never used it? I don't think you, I ever... Do you opened... still have yours? I have it, but I just haven't put my phone in it and tried it out before. Because I think Landon did it that one time we were at work and I looked at it once and I was like, that was cool. The end. It was kind of cool because you <laughs> download like the
1: Cardboard app and you can take a picture and then look around in it. Okay, so here it is. So my Google Cardboard was this thing, basically. And I, I don't know. I think the Labo uh, positions your Switch slightly farther away than the Google Cardboard uh. does. And also, um, Google Cardboard being made for phones, it was slightly a little bit too small. So it could be that my issues with the resolution were that I was zoomed in a little bit more than the Labo would have because no phone is as big as a Switch. I think yeah. maybe now that's, that's how it is. But at the time I got this, no phone was that big. So the switch stuck out just a little bit and I was a little closer uh, than I think the Labo wants me to be. So there's those two things that may have uh, hampered my experience. So I didn't have a perfect Labo VR experience, but from what I've read, it's about, it's about right. And it was kind of weird. I suggest you try it just for fun. Cause it's a free update. And if you have a cardboard lying around, just, or even just hold your Switch in front of your face and just kind of see how it works, you know? But it's nothing special.
0: Yeah. So there you go. If you have a Nintendo Labo and you've tried this, report back. But it seems to me like it's just kind of a thing you can try for novelty once.
1: Yeah. I don't... Nintendo isn't serious about this whole VR thing. <laughs> but I think Nintendo's on the sidelines. They're going to watch what PS5 and the PSVR do and Oculus and all this stuff. It's going to be a thing eventually, but they just don't care about it right now, which I think is fine. The technology is not there yet, so
0: okay. Uh, let's move into our main topic here. Um, so this week we're talking about gameplay or story first, and the reason why I decided to uh, to talk about this was because I was doing some research for the Prince of Persia video that I'm working on, mm-hmm. and I came across this. Um, <clears throat> I came across this article uh it's a, it's an essay written by jordan mechner <clears throat> jordan mechner is the creator of prince of persia back 1989 oh. uh oh like, like the, the original, actual, the actual original game. original okay. dude so it was a platformer puzzle platformer action adventure kind of game uh made for apple 2 computers <laughs> but ported to every console under the sun uh the the first and second game were really successful um ports on the NES and the Super Nintendo and all kinds of stuff. They, they made a 3d Prince of Persia game in the late nineties that was rushed big time because the company was sold and its assets were sold to another company that then bought. It was like a big uh, acquisition for like a bunch of, um, uh, a bunch of like educational properties, things like math blaster, um what's that pioneer uh, game called the one everyone's uh, played um, oregon Pione- trail oregon trails yeah great game and <laughs> and broderbund the company who produced prince of persia was part of this these sales and acquisitions and it was a really really bad acquisition for way more money than it was worth and that company fired or forced its uh like lead chairman to like step down anyways the the catalog for Prince of Persia eventually got sold to Ubisoft during the course of this time after the 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 3D game was rushed big time and so it, it didn't have like a lot of success and it was not a great game. But the the intellectual property still belonged to Jordan Mechner, the creator of the series. And he was like, I'm done with video games now. This is freaking whack. Um But Ubisoft went to him with like a prototype and they essentially convinced him to come on board and write the story for the Sands of Time himself. He was like a, a lead designer and the writer of the story and worked as freelance within Ubisoft to help them make the Sands of Time. So this article, I guess I should send it to you too. Uh, One second. So this article here is essentially him describing the process of writing the story for *The Sands of Time*, and so I'm going to scroll down here a little bit. Um, I found it a really interesting read, and of course I will I will put this uh, both in the chat, but also in the description on YouTube and uh, when it, when it goes up, audio only and everything like that too. Um, but one thing I was reading here that really stuck out to me is he he, he writes, if you go down to rule number one, do it, don't view it. Um, and then towards the bottom, he, he starts listing out what makes good cutscenes. Uh, he says, good cutscenes are brief, 30 to 60 seconds. They're well written and tightly edited. They're visually consistent with the gameplay, ideally using the same character models, environments, and graphic engine as the game itself. They contain the same kind of action as the gameplay. They flow naturally out of the preceding gameplay action and into the following action. Tell a strong but simple story. He says bad cutscenes are several times longer than they need to be, are so visually splendid that they seem to belong to a different world from the rest of the game. They're dialogue-heavy and exposition-heavy. Characters who are taciturn throughout the game suddenly uh, open up and become blabbermouths. Uh, inadvertently call attention to the game's design limitations. This is the big one I want to talk about. If the hero can survive that jump, why wouldn't he hop over a three-foot-high wall three levels back? Uh, They tell a story that has nothing to do with the game. Um, Close observers of Prince of Persia may notice that we ended up breaking at least one of these guidelines. Uh, Mostly, uh, some of the cutscenes are pre-rendered cutscenes. They're not um, the in-game graphics, right? Uh, If we go down a little bit here to rule number two, story is not king. This is what what really caught my interest. As the previous list of do's and don'ts suggests, many games hurt themselves by using or abusing cinematic cutscenes to try and tell a story that doesn't match the game. If the core component of the gameplay is shoot every spaceship you see, is the game truly enhanced by weaving an epic tale of galactic political strife? interpersonal rivalry and romantic subplots in film story is king stunning cinematography and amazing action set pieces may help sell the movie but if they're not working in the service of the story the film will fall flat with viewers not so in video games the gameplay isn't there to serve the story it's the other way around the purpose of the story is to support and enhance the gameplay Uh, pop's core gameplay is very simpler or very simple There is only one playable character. The gameplay is a combination of acrobatic exploration, getting from point A to point B, and combat, killing everyone you meet. Plus, one cool original feature you can turn back time and undo your mistakes. The challenge for the writer is to invent a story that will fit this gameplay, making the most of its strengths without highlighting its limitations. At first, the team started with a great title and core concept, The Sands of Time. Unfortunately, the first pass at a game script succumbed to many of the don'ts listed above. It had a pl- proliferation of characters representing various political factions, a hero whose goal wasn't always clear, and long exposition-burdened dialogue scenes. The complex story set uh, setup failed to provide a compelling answer to two key questions. What is point B, and why do I need to get there? And two, why do I need to kill everyone I meet? <sighs> making the decision to scrap the existing storyline and start fresh from the sands of time concept gave the team the freedom to create a new story that would yield more bang for the buck. We took our new direction from the core features of the gameplay itself. So I found that to be really, really interesting because as I initially read that I was 100% on board. I was like, Oh yeah, like totally intuitive. Obviously that's how you should craft a video game story. Uh, But I I wondered about it, and I was like, wait a minute. Do I really feel that gameplay, the the game's core gameplay, should dictate the story? And, And do I always believe that his sort of do's and don'ts apply? And I started thinking about some of my favorite JRPGs, for example. Now, I wanted to sort of, like, make this into a discussion with the uh with the chat too and then to get just people's general we're, feelings we're already on this, getting
1: quite a few people's uh be, opinions
0: because you read because like again i think as a general rule i agree 100 percent with this but the, i know that there are games i have played that don't follow that whatsoever and that i still loved and thought were great and i think there are a number of final fantasy games in particular that would fall <laughs> into that yeah but what I know that you, for instance, Kason. we have touched on this in the past, and you mm. fall more on the side of gameplay should dictate everything. Yes, yes, So yeah. I would think you agree pretty much 100% with what Mechner's saying here, right?
1: I agree pretty dang close, absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh,
0: what are people in the chat saying? People Anyone in the chat,
1: in- some people are agreeing, but for the most part, let me, let me read a couple because we've got some really good ones. Yeah. Um, we've got... A lot of uh, Pigeon Senpai saying a lot of games have cutscenes longer than one minute. Of course, Final Fantasy uh, yeah. breaks that rule pretty pretty often. Um, Lego Dog saying I like oh yeah here you go I like Xenogears, but I'm a lore dork. There you go. So, <laughs> um, Colin Peluso saying where is the rule saying you cannot combine the two? Film has a limitation of its medium which is not being able to control what happens. Game allow both watch games allow both watching and playing, uh, not the reverse it's you're not just playing you're also watching what's wrong with having both um and that i mean that is a very good point um ozzy miss saying no wonder i like the Final fantasy 13 trip uh trilogy without caring about the story just because of its evolutionary fun strategic and fast gameplay i've um i'll always say this without shame okay um and then sure sure is nt dale is saying sure isn't dale there you sure isn't sure isn't dale, sure isn't yeah. dale. Uh, it says they take the Shigeru Miyamoto approach of uh, to game story, which is essentially design the whole game, design your, your systems, all of your battle, all your gameplay comes first. Okay. Now how do we connect it all with a story? Let's throw something together. Right. And that's essentially what Nintendo does for the most part.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I do think that this is leaning on the Nintendo side of philosophy. Yeah. So where Chocolate you-
1: Rob says Jordan should work for Nintendo. I play games to enjoy their story. There
0: you go. Yeah. So here's, here's, here's kind of where my, my thoughts led me to on this. Like I, I I agree. I
1: seem to agree with you.
0: (laughs) I, I fall, (laughs) I fall into agreeing not so much with the entire landscape of what he's saying, but with a, maybe like a core, like hidden undertone of it which is that the gameplay and the story should be supporting each other. Now, if if you believe that the gameplay concepts should come first, uh, and you, you say, I'm going to make a game where the gameplay is A, B, C, and D. This is what you do. Now write me a story. I do believe that if you start there, right, if you start with that, that you then should write a story that supports those gameplay core
1: Right. Concepts. Otherwise, you get... um. They're the totally separate. The yeah. Ludo-narrative narrative dissonance. Narrative,
0: Ludo-narrative yeah, dissonance. Ludo-narrative dissonance, yeah. That's exactly what I was going to bring up, too. Ludo-narrative dissonance is where the story and the gameplay, are. they don't really go together. I've talked about um, uh, Uncharted in the past. Uncharted, the video game, is about kill everybody you see. Kind of like he, he says up here. Kill everyone <laughs> you meet <laughs> along yeah, the which, way, right? In huge waves. You're killing hundreds. There's even like I think uh, achievements in that game for killing over a thousand people in your playthrough. <laughs> it's freaking crazy how many people you kill in Uncharted. Yeah. Uncharted: The story is not about killing people. It's about uh, rushing against time to discover these ancient relics and uh, mysteries and solving these puzzles and keeping them out of the hands of you know powerful men who would do evil with them. Uh, but mostly it's, it's a lot of exploration. It's a lot of uh, character um, bonding between each other, um, some relationship issues, things like that. That's what the story is about. It has nothing to do with the game. The game and the story are totally different from each other. They don't, they don't go together. There's a lot of ludonarrative dissonance, And they realize this. Uh, Naughty Dog actually has, I think they call that achievement, where you kill a thousand people, I think that that achievement is called ludonarrative dissonance. So, yeah, you know, heard, they, yeah. they, they kind of tongue-in-cheek, <laughs> tongue you know, like, yeah. sort of named that after probably receiving feedback about this very thing. That doesn't mean that Uncharted's a bad game, by the way. I, <laughs> there was, there was um, an exit survey we had on Patreon. Uh, when when you when you stop supporting so on Patreon, they give you an opportunity to, to have a survey and say why. And there was one guy oh, yeah. who just went off, like wrote like a freaking tome about how wrong I was about Uncharted because we had you said like something Uncharted. about Uncharted. His... You I know games. He I remember he.
1: <laughs> when you first got that game, you thought it was sweet. Oh,
0: whatever. <laughs> it was so funny. I was because... There, I was there. when You first played Uncharted. <laughs> Man. <laughs> It's so funny because like I I really like the Uncharted games, right? Like yeah, I don't fun. hate them at all. I just admitting yeah. that they have ludonarrative dissonance. The game and the story don't match. That's all. Well, it's, and it's the bad. game
1: itself admits that. So what's the
0: problem? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, he was pissed. So, yeah. No. um yeah, so I think that if you're going to start with gameplay concepts, which is what they did with Sands of Time, right? Cuz they came to him when they were trying to bring him on board to write the story. And they said they showed him demos of like the movement because Prince of per, like a key aspect of Prince of Persia has always been animation quality because Jordan yeah, Mechner, Jordan Mechner even on the freaking Apple II version that he 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 did um, he filmed like his brother and his family and friends like doing movements and he freaking rotoscoped them to, That's crazy to get the animations for the game. Wow. So for I think like probably five or six years after that. The animation of Prince of Persia was still, like, above almost anything people were doing on, like, the Super Nintendo in terms of, like, smoothness. So animation was always, like, a really big aspect of Prince of Persia's identity. So when they were doing The Sands of Time, they decided to do this kind of, like, ninja-like sort of movement where you're running on walls and leaping and grabbing onto things and swinging and doing gymnastics, like a lot of acrobatics. And so they they designed they started their designs from kind of that core aspect, the gameplay, the movement getting from point A to point B, as he says, was like where they started. And so writing a story that fits that core element of the game, you know, its rewind feature, which came from the fact that the the director hated when on one of their previous games uh, like a Donald Duck game when he would fail on a platforming section that he'd have to redo the level instead of just going uh-huh. back to that spot and trying it again. And so he's like oh I want a, a feature where we can just rewind the time and try the jump again. There so these were all gameplay concepts thought of first. Yeah. And so it makes complete sense to me and I totally agree that if, if that's the way you go, you start with the gameplay, yes, you should write a story that supports those things like why is he able to do this we need him to get this dagger that rewinds time the sands of time you work the story into the abilities and the gameplay that you know you're going to be doing when you play the game i also believe however you can do it in reverse you can start with a story concept and then you can create gameplay that supports the story so if you say I think Final Fantasy VII might have been done this way, for instance. Now, hmm. Final Fantasy's been a turn-based RPG for a long time, so a lot of its core elements, right. like it turn-based combat, end. were going to be part of it. But materia, being like the way that you use magic and how that's tied into the life stream, and that those are the the, the spirits of the ancients and of all people returned to the planet, and so their memories go into the live stream. And when the live stream is like it hardens and crystallizes into materia, it contains the memories of those people. So you, you know, their abilities when you are equipped with the materia, that's how they're able to conjure lightning or whatever magic. Mm. So the materia system and the story are linked together. They support each other. So the lore, the story of the game and the gameplay are working together. And I wouldn't be surprised, I don't know for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was a story concept they came up with, the live stream and Materia, and then they created a gameplay system to support the story, right?
1: It's true. It can be done both ways, I guess. So I try to think of how often, because what you say there, it makes sense, but we don't know necessarily that that's what they did. It's just that they could very well have done that. I have a lot of examples of people saying the gameplay came first and then the story. I don't have very many examples of people, I guess, admitting, for lack of a better word, that the the story, story came first. first. And then they, other than like games based on movies, yes, mm-hmm. the story came first there. But those games usually aren't very good.
0: Yeah. Uh, Ozzy Mist is bringing up uh, the Espers from six, which are very similar concept, right? Like the Espers... Uh, turning into magicite, right? Kind of like the same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you you learn the abilities from the magicite, from the the Esper who sacrificed themselves or was killed or whatever. Um, And Rob also said that, right? So anyways, uh, I was, uh, over the last couple months, once a week, sitting in and doing some consultation for an indie game that uh, some people I work with wanted to create. And we were going through this process. And I remember at the beginning of that process, I was saying, yeah, we should come up with what our gameplay mechanics are first, right? Like, what what are you guys able to do with the systems underneath it? Then come to me, and I'll see what kind of story I can think of to go with that. And as we did that, it was kind of just going all over the place. (laughs) They were like, oh, we could do gameplay mechanics like this uh and 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 it was just like it it was funny to me how i thought that's how i should have done it and but we weren't really arriving at an answer we were still kind of like we could do this 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 or this or this or that or (laughs) it was like not it was unfocused because like we could do these gameplay mechanics but we could also incorporate like maybe this or that and it's like all these what ifs or maybes you know possibilities of what we could do we weren't able to Not able, but we weren't really getting locked into what those core gameplay mechanics were. And it wasn't until we sort of decided on a setting and on um, a story idea that all of a sudden we started sifting through all these gameplay ideas and like locking into what the core of the game should be. Um, And I I won't go into the, the details on that, but it was an example where... Things became much more clear to us when we settled on the story first and then we moved into what gameplay mechanics will support this story. So I think it can go both ways. And I think this is a, you know, I didn't spend tons of time thinking through like my favorite RPGs that seem to be antithetical to what Mechner is writing here that use super long cutscenes and do FMV sequences that are totally different from the game's graphics and yeah. have tons of uh, exposition-laden dialogue to explain the story. Um, all these things that are, according to him, the wrong way of doing things. I didn't examine those games and, and and sort of like arrive at do I think that they came up with the story first and then they did the gameplay second or I didn't do that. But my assumption is as of right now, that in a lot of cases that did happen, but it still can be done in a way that works. As long as you don't... As long as you have that in mind. As long as you're saying we should create our gameplay and story cohesively together.
1: They should complement each other, yeah. Yeah. Whichever one comes first, as long as the other one is developed in a way that complements the... Gameplay or story, whichever you have, uh, whichever you want to do. Uh, And that can be done both ways. It really can be. So, I mean, I don't know. It can just obviously be done both
0: ways. (laughs) I still think, though, that Final Fantasy in general has had problems with late game exposition dumps. That uh, it relies a little too much on explaining the story with the dialogue instead of showing it. That kind of uh, became
1: a, a bit of a problem with Final Fantasy VIII, I think, a little bit.
0: Yeah, towards the and end, beyond. where all of a sudden you're
1: doing things that you that didn't make a ton of sense, and you had to. Uh, there was a lot of dialogue late in that game.
0: Final Fantasy IX kind of goes crazy towards the end as well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's not
1: no spoilers, I guess, but you're doing crazy <laughs> stuff at the end of that game.
0: <laughs> so, like, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, okay, and one of his rules here about, um, where was it? Visually consistent with the gameplay, ideally using the same character models, environments, uh, graphics engine. So, you know, FMV cutscenes. but then the other one, uh, is he? he says, don't inadvertently call attention to the game's design limitations. If the hero can survive that jump, final fantasies, they fall from infinite heights. They always survive. Yes. Why couldn't he hop over the three foot high wall, three levels back? Right. right. Um, we see when we play the game we're standing around just jumping forward and attacking people or maybe summoning some magic but like in the in the cutscenes of final fantasy games they are flying through the air they are freaking like skateboarding down like uh crumbling walls and wires and jumping and flipping and <laughs> doing just this like godlike uh, acrobatics and powers that are totally divorced from what we do when we play right i agree that to an extent these things can be a problem and that they are a problem in jrpgs a lot of times in, in terms of being like i i i look at it and it's just like oh man like It's starting to get crazy here. The pacing is really dying. I just played uh, the beginning of uh, disc three of Final Fantasy IX on on Friday. Oh, nice. It is the slowest part of the game, filled with dialogue. They go to a Trino uh, card tournament for no reason. Like, there's just all of this stuff happening and things they're talking about. You know, it's killing funny, the pace and you're not playing the game. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny about the whole Trino card game though? This is totally unrelated, but I think it's just wonderful. It's like the big event for that region is the card game, right? Yeah. You barely learned the whole thing as you're going throughout your adventures. And for some reason you need to win this tournament so that you can make it, you know, to the next thing. And, you know, given the importance that that whole city has like put on the tournament, it's almost like, It's almost like you'd have to go like, oh, in the United States, you're trying to get to Washington, DC, but you've got to go win the Super Bowl first. You've got to go (laughs) and you've never really played football, but you play and you've beaten a few people a couple times. You gotta go play football and literally win the Super Bowl so that then you can make it to DC and actually where the, you know, the king is or whatever. Like why would you ever have to do that? (laughs) So for the for the
0: for the elitists who are gonna pick apart what you said, I will clarify that. You have to win the first two rounds, not necessarily win the whole tournament. True, true. That's a good point. So you have to win so the playoffs
1: of the Super Bowl, not the whole. You have to Super Bowl.
0: you have to get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, you got to get to. You the don't Super have, Bowl, to you have to the win Super the Super Bowl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, it's just for everyone who's going to freak out and be like, hey, blah, blah, blah. okay, I uh, listen. They had their reasons for doing. The larger it. I point, know. it's just yeah. The larger it's just point weird. is pacing is whack at the beginning of disc three of Final Fantasy nine, yeah, and agree. a lot of it has to do with some of the don'ts that Mechner brings up here. That being said, I don't agree wholeheartedly that like s- cutscene should only be 30 to 60 seconds long. Yeah. That's or... a bit limiting. Or also think... he says, tell a strong,
1: simple story, like tell a strong story. Sure. But that's this is one of the simple. things that final fantasy kind of changed video games forever by, by at least trying. And in my opinion, succeeding in a lot of ways to tell a complex story. You don't have to limit yourself the way that he suggests yeah. you do.
0: Um Chris says the amount of dialogue in disc three isn't the problem. The lack of a threat is well, and I actually see, kind of agree with that. Yeah.
1: Because um, you know, dialogue works as long as you know where you're going, you know what's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, you know that like there's this thing but when you when you kind of don't really know you don't get what the point is of of so much dialogue i guess when there isn't an active threat necessarily
0: there is a lot of cuts i think that should have been made to the beginning of disc three of final Mm -hmm. fantasy nine because the sentiment in the early part of it is uh dagger has has to become queen um and so she's sort of like separated from the group and she wants to reach out to yeah. Zidane, but she, you know, you can't. Now you're the queen. You have to like. Yeah, you know, she's high. And you know. and Zidane's all depressed because he is afraid of losing her. He wants to say something, but feels like he can't. And everyone's just sort of meandering around those two characters who are feeling this distance, but like this longing for each other. And everyone else is kind of just bumbling around doing nothing now there is a moment of good of good um humor in there there are good moments in it i'm not saying it's all bad like where uh where um uh what is her name the the little girl with the horn
1: uh oh eiko eiko eiko
0: Eiko writes the love letter and loses it and then baku gets it and then he loses it and uh, Beatrix picks it up and thinks that Steiner wrote it, and then she loses it, and the Tantalus guys pick it up, and they go there thinking someone wrote it for them. And Iko and the Tantalus guys are watching as <laughs> Beatrix and Steiner, assuming each other, wrote that love letter to each other. Like, it's, there's moments that are pretty good, but the lack of threat, like Chris is saying, it doesn't happen until after the car tournament. We go back to Alexandria, and you have the eye in the sky, and the Bahamut summon comes in and starts destroying stuff, and then you learn about Garland, right? It's like that takes almost two and a half hours to get to that moment where it's like, here's a new threat. And we're playing cards. We're going from <laughs> Alexandria to Trino. We're, yeah. And there again, the, like, there's good moments in there. Uh, there's an optional moment where you can go to the cave, like Kwan's cave or whatever, and learn about Vivi being raised by one of the the, the Q people, whatever they're yeah, called. Yeah, the um, now, yeah, the Kina, yeah. So there are moments, but it's just so long. It really could have used cuts. So there are parts of this I agree with about being brief, about not overstaying your welcome, about uh, what is it that Shakespeare says? Brevity is the. I don't know. Oh, what is it? I got to look up the quote. It's really good.
1: Well, I I also have to say that just because these are considered rules doesn't necessarily mean that they can never be broken. Right? So there's always, like, this. these rules will probably do you well 80-90% to 90% of the time. But if you want to be exceptional, and if you want to really um, change the world with your video game, you can't just stick to following these rules.
0: Yeah, so he says, brevity is the soul of wit. There are people saying soul of wit in the in the chat yeah. as well. There's no briefer way of expressing this thought than Shakespeare's making further explanation redundant. Uh, yeah, be... <laughs> Be express things with less words, with more nonverbal communication. <laughs> and uh, you know, definitely JRPGs tend to suffer from being burdened with too many words as a rule. So, anyways, I've I think we've I've rambled a lot here, but hopefully. I don't know. What are people in the chat saying? Anything interesting that they've brought up as uh, uh, counterpoints? or? Yeah, so
1: <clears> OzzyMist1000 <throat> says, I like watching the story for those kinds of kids dreaming of becoming aristocrats uh, watching their story progress in disc 3. But then he also says, but Sands of Time told most of its story through internal dialogue of the prince or his That's narration true. during the gameplay and conversations with Farah while solving puzzles. So they yeah. did have an opportunity to do a little bit more there because of the way that the whole the way that the the game worked, I guess.
0: That's true. They do talk to each other a lot while you're still moving, while you're still yeah. like solving a puzzle. They're they're doing yeah. their banter back and forth while you're like and still playing the game.
1: Sometimes, um, sometimes games like uh, well, like doesn't Metal Gear Solid kind of do that, or Metal Gear um, those kinds of games. You have your people that you're always talking to or oh battalion wars did this a lot (laughs) the advanced wars kind of sequel um where as you're playing these people are talking and sometimes the bad guys will come over your intercom waves and they'll start like yelling at each other and stuff Mm -hmm. you get a lot of story that way or um what is it like tales of tales of um is it vesperia or the ones where you can it's like optional you can choose to Um, talk to certain characters at certain times and they will tell you certain things, but not always. I can't remember exactly how that one works either. Sure.
0: But it's like Um, during the gameplay. Um, portal, uh, someone brought a portal. Portal's very much done this way where, you know, she's talking to you while you're like solving the puzzle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chris says Doctor Tot has to explain why they didn't bother to update the graphics of the cave. <laughs> <laughs> this residual mist. <laughs> this is residual mist. Um, because the mist should have been gone by then, right? Because you already went to the EFA tree and everything. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, if anyone uh, has any other examples, yeah, we'll go. I they want to bring um, up. We'll keep an eye on the. We'll keep an eye on the chat here. But I do want um, to move on, unless there's okay. something else you want to
1: say uh ozzy 1000 says elder Scrolls does almost everything without taking away control of being different from its core gameplay mechanics that's Um, true what's great about elder scrolls is and breath of the wild is a lot this way as well because its story complements the gameplay very well in that there isn't like you you just kind of do whatever you want to do i guess yeah and uh, skyrim in a lot of ways is similar to that but the fact that it's open world gives you a lot of opportunities for stories but not necessarily um like super essential plot lines but because you know i guess skyrim's a little bit different but in breath of the wild you could technically just miss everything and just kill the boss right and it's yeah. still you'd still kind
0: of oh, crap, we lost you yeah lost you hold on peace because tra- sorry okay hold on i think you caught up now uh go ahead okay
1: cool just in traveling through the world in breath of the wild you you pick up story pieces just seeing the destruction of the world around you and you cross through little villages that used to be this or that and you see these flags and all that kind of stuff um so it complements the the gameplay really well because it's just a peaceful serene kind of game that you can basically do whatever you want in. And uh, you know, Skyrim's a lot of that same way. So I, I appreciate that comment from Ozzy Mist.
0: Uh I love this comment from sure isn't Dale. It says that uh Jim Cummings needs to voice Steiner. <laughs> yeah, I read that. That would that would be <laughs> literal perfection of a casting for Steiner. Holy crap. Like yeah. I I didn't I can't believe I never thought of that. But Jim Cummings as Steiner is literal perfection. And then he says Danny DeVito as Queen Braun. That would also be funny. Um Okay. Let's move on to, uh, Oh yeah. And I I had said this before. I I can't remember if you were paying much attention, but these
1: stories or these rules that he kind of came up with uh, in a lot of ways. They're kind of just like guidelines, like, like, just like with music, there's, there are a lot of rules to music that they exist. You should use them 80, 90% of the time, but you know, you can break them intentionally. And if you know what you're doing, you can break these, especially if you're looking to make a game that goes beyond just you know being a little game that you've developed and actually can become something that can change.
0: We we lost the you, world, a bit there. right? I think and I think we got the, have the majority of your part or of your point there. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, if you're All telling right. a simple story, I'll put it that way. A simple story, like you're saying, yeah, you you should not have anything more in the cutscenes.
1: Then have one minute cutscenes. Yeah than
0: how you should get from point A to point B, yeah. right? But if you're telling a complex sure. story, you're going to need more dialogue than that. You're going to need more time to set it up. And people are okay with watching a little bit of a cutscene to tell the story. It's not sure. any different than, uh, you know, if we're applying this to interactivity, right? Like that being the defining feature of video games over, say, films. Still, mm-hmm. in real life, if you're going around... To, you know, fighting monsters, slaying monsters, and, and and that's what you're engaged in, you're still going to have moments where you sit by the campfire and you observe a person talking to you in conversation. <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's okay to sit down and listen to dialogue because that's what you would be doing in real life if you were in that particular situation where there's a little bit of an aside or a, a moment of pause or respite from the battling to have some interaction with the people, right? You're not actively yeah. doing anything other than sitting there and listening. So why is sitting there and watching a cutscene any different than that? Anyways. um,
1: By the way, Chocolate Rob brings up a really good point. He says one of his rules in the article was break the rules, was it not? And I see that rule number six, break as many rules as you can get away with. Yeah. Um, Obviously he knows that he's putting limits on something that, essentially doesn't have hard boundaries, which is art. Sure, And, you know, so he's throwing this in there, break as many rules as you can. Don't break all of them though. They're <laughs> there for a reason.
0: <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up, Rob. That is a good point. And it, to yeah. be fair to him, we need to make sure to mention that. So, Also
1: Appreciate metropolis. That. There is, um, I, I don't know how, if I've explained this to everybody yet. I definitely explained it to Mike. I live in a, a farm area where there is not a lot of houses and I cannot have wired internet. I have to have DISH uh, satellite internet. So there is no other option for me. I, I'm sorry. All the money in the world would not get me better internet necessarily. Unless uh, I could use my phone as a hotspot and have like unlimited data, like 5G and that'd be kind of cool.
0: However, uh, in the coming months, we are going to be changing where we shoot the podcast into yes, the studio sure. behind me in the room back there and Kaysen is going to be in the same location. So we'll be, we'll be yep. in the same place. We'll be in the same spot sometime so in my internet won't matter anymore. <laughs> right. So anyways, it, it should be a, a good deal. We have really fast internet here in the building. So anytime we have a, uh, a guest on, unless they're in a similar situation to Kaysen, um, we shouldn't have internet problems moving forward. Okay. So look forward to that. Thank you for okay. all the comments. Let's move on to the last two topics here. This one comes from Psychic O Dog on uh, on Discord, actually, and this is one we we have some disagreement on. So um, I don't <laughs> know if he's here in the comments, uh, but uh... oh yeah, it's Lego oh, Dog. Lego, LEGO dog. dog. There you go. So What's Lego up? Dog is uh, <laughs> Psychic O Dog in uh, in Discord. You often talk about wanting a game that reclaims the visual style of the PlayStation One Final Fantasy games with pre-rendered backgrounds. Uh, is that nostalgia, or is there an artistic reason why you think that style works? Because I'm honestly not a big fan of it. Hmm. Um, he went on to say in Discord that, uh, well, I don't want to misquote him, but essentially he just doesn't think that it works at all from an artistic perspective. Let me not let me not misquote you here. Uh, do, 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 do. This is in particular something I wanted to talk about. I think with 2D uh, backgrounds like the SNES games, it works beautifully. I also think 3D backgrounds with 2D sprites, like in Xenogears, works amazing too. But I think that 3D models against 2D backgrounds with no other 3D parts doesn't work well visually. It's jarring and unfocused. Uh, No doubt games got better over time, but I think that it doesn't work well. It's a dimension clash that doesn't blend naturally. So I want to respond in to maybe some of those sentiments in particular
1: um sometimes it
0: does clash
1: like i have noticed that several times uh for the most part i I like it though
0: so um let's bring up let's say uh the fact that in on some of final fantasy 7's maps in particular it was hard to know where you can walk and where you cannot walk. You think, yeah, yeah. why can't I climb this thing? <laughs> where, right. where, am I, where am I supposed to walk? Where am I allowed to go on this map, right? You can run into those issues when you design a pre-rendered background and a, and a, and a 3D character running around on it. Like the, Certainly the case, um, those games are not perfect, but I would say that for the vast majority of those maps, it is very clear where you can walk. And especially for the limits of the time in terms of how many polygons they could put on the screen. I talked about this a lot in my Vagrant Story review, actually. Vagrant Story was one of the first RPGs Square made where they wanted to make it entirely 3D. Where, you know, in Xenogears, the environments were 3D, the characters were not. The characters were 2D Mm -hmm. sprites. In Final Fantasy games, in Chrono Cross... Uh, the the character models were polygonal, they were 3D, the backgrounds were not, because they were really worried about memory and load times. It was a huge f- factor of consideration for them internally, because if they tried to do everything in 3D, it would make load times really long. Their games were already super long, because the stories were very complex, and they had to be put on multiple discs. And so they were running into these, this problem with load times and memory and not having enough space. So it was one of the ways, not only from an artistic direction to make things look really fabulous, but also a way to cut down on memory. Um, And in Vagrant Story, it was really, really hard for them to like get the game to run smoothly when everything was polygonal, everything was in 3d and also take in mind that that game is significantly shorter than most other RPGs from square during that time. Um, but it looks, it looks really great, right? Like they, they pulled it off. Anyways, my point is that there are technical reasons why they made the choice, but that's not to say that. I think that the, 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 the art direction or, or the, what do you call it? The method, I guess, of presenting the world, is not beautiful in and of itself. Now, part, I think, of why people feel like that they, they clash has to do with the HD era. Now, I'm not saying LEGO Dog didn't play the games in the past. I don't know. Yeah. Probably you did. But when you played these games on a CRT, a small CRT, standard definition, uh, especially yeah. Final Fantasy VIII and IX in particular... There 90%. was not a there was not a clash between the character and the backgrounds. When we yeah. play these games in the modern day, with uh, they've had HD re releases on the Switch or on the PlayStation Four or on Steam, it's much clearer that the background resolution is really really low, <laughs> and the character resolution is very high, and they yes. don't match. They don't look like they belong together. Now these are technical issues. And within that vein, I would agree they don't look good in HD like they did on a CRT display back in the 1990s. But that's not really what I'm talking about when I'm saying, you know, use this in sort of like a modern take on it. For the same reason that you love some of the most impressive images of the SNES, which is usually a parallaxed image. You have your character sprite in the foreground running around, and they have a background image that uh, kind of scrolls in the background in such a way to make it feel like it's way back there in the background. Mm -hmm. It's called parallax, right? Uh, So the idea behind some of the most impressive images in, say, Final Fantasy IX with the pre-rendered backgrounds use the same um, technique. There is a shot in Final Fantasy IX where Steiner is at the front of a boat and he's sort of being introspective. He's thinking about, am I really like doing the right thing? And then you go to the other side of the boat and Dagger's there. It's like a profile image of the boat as it's sort of like going through this uh, underground cavern slash like ruins. And there's like five layers in this image. There is an extreme foreground image of some barrels That's really dark, like in shadow, in the foreground. They kind of pass in the foreground in front of the camera. And then you have in the second layer, the boat, where Dagger and Steiner are standing and they're thinking through, you know, uh, the kind of their predicament that they're in and the water that they're on. Then you have a layer behind them of some pillars, another layer behind that of some more pillars, and then the extreme background layer. um, And these have a painterly quality to them. They are handcrafted, no. um, and they're much more detailed than any anything you could have done in full 3D at the time. It, you'll notice there's so much more going on on the pre-rendered images of Final Fantasy games than there is in anything in Xenogears. Xenogears mm-hmm. environments—they do the job of filling them up and making them feel lively with characters and things. But like the the amount of detail in the textures in all the little things like that they, they can actually put in there, like barrels and you know just, just props in into the environments is very very, very low uh, the, just because of the limits of what you can do on the screen with the number of polygons on a PlayStation game. So there's this handcrafted handmade, painterly detail in those pre-rendered backgrounds and when you layer them in that way to give parallax it creates this just really beautiful composition artistically in my opinion and there's so many examples of that throughout the final fantasy games and and even in chrono cross chrono cross has some absolutely gorgeous (laughs) gorgeous pre-rendered images that from an, that are very satisfying from an artistic perspective that they could have never designed that in 3D on the PlayStation. No chance. Absolutely no way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with current-day technology with, where we can capture high-resolution images or where we can just have a guy paint a background, right, and make it just look amazing, that you could use these techniques of several layers in the image to, to create this awesome parallax that would just look um, really cool. I, I just think that like, and this is actually something that hopefully we'll be talking about next week. Uh, the 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 topic I wanted to do today was um, why is sprite art so amazing, or why is it just so beloved, or why does it yeah. work, or I can't remember exactly how it's worded. I was going to get a, a guest to come on for that who does uh, really really excellent uh, sprite art, but there's something about limitations to the degree upon which they were applied to game developers in the 1990s with the Nintendo, Super Nintendo, you know, Sega Genesis and PlayStation and the N64. That era, before we could animate faces, before we could do much to emote from the characters from an animation perspective, right? All the nonverbal communication we're talking about being almost impossible to show on a character's face. And the, the way that they were able to be so expressive and to be so creative in how they presented these worlds and characters to us under those limitations is extremely charming. For instance, the way that in Final Fantasy VII people jump everywhere. Like, they get up and they just go, Bing, and they, like, jump <laughs> from place to place, right? <laughs> Things like that will not work in the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Because in the Final Fantasy VII remake, that would look freaking weird, and it would not fit fit the aesthetic of being very realistic. But in that time, like they could express a character's excitement not on his face or her face, but by having the character jump up and be like "yeah" and like pump their fist. Yeah. So similarly to how they were being ultra-expressive with the animation that was available to them in order to express things they could not do with uh, a voice or with uh, animation on the face. Details like that were not possible. So they got it across in other ways, and there's a charm to and an artistry to how they are expressing and presenting those things underneath the limitations that makes it so beloved and so expressive and so artistic and creative that is not the same when you can just zoom in on a guy's face and you can see that he's sad how do you express that when he's sitting 20 or 30 feet away from the camera facing the other way (laughs) and we can't do a camera cut and how do we express that he has to really like slump his shoulders and you know what i mean and they were being expressive to that degree with backgrounds and, and showing this amazing world under these limitations where they can't model every single rock and every single blade of grass and every single pillar and every single, you know, they can't do that. They have to do it on a flat image. How do we get that across? And, and I especially love the, the, the portions of the games where they do layers of parallax like that. And so they have flat images all the way across the background, but it feels three-dimensional because of where they're placed in space 2.5 d i guess you could call it
1: 2.5 d yeah that kind of thing
0: i want a modern game designed with the philosophy of a 2.5 d but playstation-esque like so not um hand drawn or pixel art but with like like realistic almost like photographs i guess would be the equivalent of of an environment or a fully rendered environment but I just think there's something really cool about the way that that's done. I don't know if I'm expressing myself well. That's all I, I can really say. That's the reason why. Uh, like
1: that, that is good. I know Lego dog um, brought up a few times as you were talking, saying, you know, it's it's not so much that he doesn't agree that they were awesome back then, just that he he doesn't know about the modern, uh, how well it would work bringing it back today. Um, but I don't have much to add to that. I feel like you did a really good
0: job. Well, I, I don't, I don't, um,
1: Ozzy Mist is talking about Octopath Traveler and Child of mm-hmm. Light, but I think those are a little Child of Light, maybe a little bit, but Octopath has a sprite character in a 3D world. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike's kind of referring to the opposite, having a 3D character in a in a 2D, um, not the, 2D world. But, uh, uh, it looks 3D, but having static backgrounds or um, what's the word?
0: Pre-rendered backgrounds.
1: Yeah, pre-rendered backgrounds as opposed yeah. to um, yeah. The, so
0: what we what we have Octopath. seen is a lot of like side-scrolling. Uh, applications of this idea where it's like you get the the side scrolling parallax of the background the the ground that the character's on and then an extreme foreground element something like that yeah, but yeah. what we don't see is movement in z space backwards and yeah forwards. moving
1: in that's true that's true it's like for child of light doesn't quite
0: right make it and yeah. some of those shots, in my opinion, are, were also some of the most impressive. Like when you come out of the, of the plate from under the plate in Final Fantasy VII, you look up at the top of the Shinra Tower, and, and Claude's Cla- got the sword on his back, which is the iconic cool. image on the yeah, cover yeah, yeah. art of the PlayStation version yeah. of the game. And then they run forward. There, there, are, there were moments where they accomplished these cinematic angles that were so detailed and so impressive that I think that they really could work, um, because you could make things look, again, even more polished and detailed than you... Even as powerful as the machines we have are today. And, you know, they're rendering a crazy amount of polygons at once on screen. And, you know, you you look at games like God of War from last year, and it's just like, holy crap, graphics have come so far. But even then, they are limited in poly count. They can't do everything. They still use they actually use pre-rendered backgrounds more often than you would uh, uh, realize in games. Um In Dark Souls, for instance, they use – uh uh what do they call them? It's not pre-rendered – it's – um what do they call them in film? Where they have just that image on a backdrop that's painted on – Like a on, matte? A Matt's matte painting. painting. Yeah. They use matte paintings all the time in the Dark Souls games. Sky maps and things like that are just yeah. photographs. They're not – rendering clouds in the sky or maybe they have a couple to sort of blend them together but they use these images on things that are far away like castles way out in the distance or whatever that's not a real modeled castle 300 miles away from you that they're rendering in real time that is a painted image in the backdrop but you don't realize it um And so they use this technique still today in a lot of cases. I just think that doing it to a more extreme degree in a stylized manner uh, would be something that could look really cool and could kind of call back to that philosophy of game design that has been lost. We don't have games like that anymore. And I think with with modern technology, you could do do this in a way that blends um, the images together even better than they were able to do at that time and could look really, really spectacular. So, anyways, that's my thought on it. Uh, right. Let's move into the last one here. This is from, well, it sure isn't Dale. We have him here as well. Sure isn't Dale. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how to portray darker subject matter without using blunt terms. Like how to mention if someone kills themselves, but without using the S word, suicide, uh, directly. That and other things of that nature. Hmm. This is a tough one. Uh, I really felt like N 1 did a good job at this, though. Like, and 1's subject matter is pretty dark. There is chemical warfare, there's genocide, there's yeah. patricide, there's extreme racism. There's all kinds of really heavy subject matter in Suikoden 1, and I would feel completely comfortable having my 8-year-old kid play that game. I would mm-hmm. not feel at all like this is inappropriate, it's too dark, it's too heavy, it's you know going to be confusing for them, <laughs> anything like mm-hmm. that it was pres- and i can't point to a specific example i've been separated from it for too long to pull up like a line of dialogue and show it to you but there are ways and again this kind of calls back for me to being nonverbal can you have a character suggest something through their facial expression or through trailing off at the right point you know this is a problem and they they don't know how to finish the sentence mm. but like it's implied it's implicit right I think that there are lots of ways both in the writing and in the nonverbal delivery that you can imply things without directly stating them. Uh, didn't and I think last week, didn't does. We,
1: um, last week, didn't you show that clip from Smallville with all the innuendos? Yes. <laughs> That's a yes way to did. not do it.
0: <laughs> Don't do it like that. <laughs>
1: that is the opposite.
0: <laughs> uh, so instead of using a litany, of puns and uh, ridiculous metaphors to imply something. <laughs> right. Instead, you should do it through nonverbal communication, not through mm. saying things that are just absurd, that nobody sure. would say that, nobody would talk that way in real life, right? No. So don't rely <laughs> too much on the dialogue to use metaphors and things like that. To You can still use metaphors, for sure. I know, yeah. But they're, just they're not useful. not like every single line of dialogue being some huge reach of a metaphor to try and like tie the idea <laughs> right yeah. um nonverbal nonverbal communication pay attention to the way people talk when they're uncomfortable people do this all the time you're in a conversation with somebody you want to say something or you think one way but you don't want to hurt their feelings or you don't want to imply uh more than what you think so you're afraid that by saying what you think that they'll think something worse than what you're really trying to say you're not sure how to put it so that you accurately say what you mean to say but at the same time you don't want them to get to go further with the idea that oh i i'm I'm really mad at you when really it's just more like no i'm just i feel a little bit frustrated by this particular thing i know you're not doing it on purpose i know it's not malicious but if you just say this thing you do is piss me off (laughs) you might mean the former you might not mean i'm Super, super mad at you or like you're doing this wrong. You might just say this thing you're doing is upsetting me, but they'll take it and personalize and be like, oh, he's upset at me and he thinks that I'm this and that. And they they go way further than intended. So pay attention when you're talking with people, especially if you're having uh, a disagreement with somebody especially when you're face to face not anonymously over internet people say everything that's on their mind and they they usually say more than they mean they, they go too oh, yeah. far on purpose to yeah, troll. Yeah, yeah. but when yeah. you're with somebody say it's a got, a got a girlfriend a wife whatever you're having a problem pay attention to the things you, you you purposefully try not to say and and pay attention to how you try to word it instead <laughs> and pay attention to how you dance around a little bit like, These things are really important in learning how to be implicit with your statements or how to communicate something non-verbally. Does your tone of voice say more than what your words say? Does the way you trail off do all of the pay attention to that Because that, again, I think is what you need to capture when when you're trying not to be explicit. And you're and you're trying to make something you're trying to portray a dark a piece of dark subject matter, but f- maybe for an audience that's a little younger and yeah. definitely play in One because I think it does a good job of that. Go
1: ahead. You know, um Korean dramas actually do a good job of this. Oh, yeah. Uh, Korean television. And there's, there's a cultural reason for it. And probably to a lesser extent, um, Japanese shows and Japanese anime as well. Uh, because the way the language works, it's very indirect. You rarely say exactly the thing that you mean what you will often do is you'll either omit the subject of, or you'll omit the object of your whole sentence, you know? And like the, in Japanese, they have this thing where they say, desu kedo, they, they'll say kedo at the very end of something, which technically means, but, and often you'll hear a whole entire sentence end with, da da, da, da desu kedo, and then nothing comes after. And technically they've said the word, but, right? You should be, you should be expecting something to come after but technically it's all implicit it's all implied within the context of what they were saying that they don't actually feel the need to say it exactly uh they just say but and you kind of get the point like in korean they say something um along the lines of like Chogum, or "chum," which means a little bit so sometimes they'd say oh Kuge chum, which means ah oh, that's a little bit dot 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 right and you're supposed to glean from that, oh, this person, that's an uncomfortable thing for them to be doing, right? And mm-hmm. and so they don't need to say, Oh, you know, put there" or whatever. Like, I'm not I'm not comfortable. They don't they rarely say that. They will actually say, Well, that's a little bit. And so the way the languages work is when you watch these TV shows. Um, a lot of times there is a problem with that because they're not saying exactly what they mean, but at the same time, it's, it's just this kind of thing that we're talking about where there's a little bit of tension there because they aren't saying what they mean, but you do understand like they, they don't typically say like the S word or things like that. They don't even really have swear words in their language. Everything has to be is context based. And so. You know, whenever you um, have a situation where you've got dark, you know, dark subject matter, but you don't want to use a blunt term, uh, Korean dramas do an incredibly good job of that. They rarely Mm -hmm. will use offensive words like that. Um, And when they explain it to other people, they do it in a way to where people understand what they're saying without them actually having to go go the whole mile and actually say it, because that that's just not how their language works. It's a very what do you call it? Passive voice. They use the passive voice a lot, not the active voice. They're a very They're not as direct. They're very indirect when referencing people and events. Uh, Whereas in English in America, we tend to be very direct and we say what we mean or, you know, and and it's all about the individual, you know. But in, you know, Korea and Japan, it's a little bit different. It's an indirect language. They won't say specifically exactly what they mean all the time.
0: That's that would be a good, really good example. Uh, I haven't watched too many Korean dramas, but there have been a few that I've watched that I liked. And now that I think about it. There are a lot of examples of, of yeah. people to kind of just dancing around, not quite exactly stating directly they, what they yeah. mean. <laughs>
1: Especially with sexual matters. They don't yeah. say it. Like, it's just culturally, you just don't talk about that stuff. But, you know, that's drama. Like, people really do talk about and People want to talk about that stuff. But the, the culture kind of dictates that they shouldn't. So
0: they kind of dance around it a little bit. It's really funny. Yeah. You see that a lot in anime, too, I feel. Yeah, anime a, does that same thing. A yeah. lot of suggestive dialogue, but not explicit. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's interesting. Okay, well, that's the end of our uh, discussion for today. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Um, Next week, I'm going to try to get Danny Oliver on to talk about sprite art. Um, If anyone knows who he is...
1: (laughs) (laughs) You have his contact info? (laughs) And you
0: know of a good way to reach him, let me know, because uh, I, I couldn't find, like, a business email. I'm going to Mm -hmm. probably go through Tumblr, which I think is what he wants to filter people to do is to go to his Tumblr and contact him there. But I didn't want to create a Tumblr account just to contact him. But it looks like I might have to do that. Anyways, if anybody else knows, let me know. That'd be great. Otherwise, uh, we'll see you again next week. Have a great remainder of your Sunday. Peace out.